Is that your hotel room? No, it's my mother's basement. I'm literally doing a podcast from my mother's basement. The last glob culture of 2020. We're recording this New Year's Eve day. I'm John Podhoritz in New York. With me, as always, Rob Long. Jonah Goldberg is on vacation. Hi, Rob. Hi, hi, John. So, uh, Rob, I, <laughs> I'm sorry. That is incredibly insensitive. I shouldn't do that. that it, why is it insensitive, Rob? You you can do whatever you want. That's because true. I, I I have to report to our uh, listeners that. Uh, Rob has COVID. <laughs> That's right. Rob has COVID. It's the weirdest thing because, yes, I have it. In fact, I, I was, I was, I have mild symptoms, very mild. Um, I would say they're meek and mild, like in many ways, like, like the Christ child was meek and mild. I, I am that COVID style, uh, and it's a very weird thing when they tell you you have COVID because you, you think, oh my God, I have, oh my God. And then you spend the next day and a half, uh, every single this sniffle or like mild ache, you think, "Oh, this is it. This is it. This is it." And then it's like a, it's a it's a cold. It's a, basically a cold. It's done two things. One, it's made me rethink the idea of colds because I, you know, you have a cold, you go out, you do your business, whatever, you don't think about it. Uh, now I think I will think about it because now I'm I'm just constantly aware of just what a contagion I am and how contagious I am. Uh, and then the second thing is you discover that. Um, all the doctors you know uh, suddenly become, you know, like the the Whole Foods health practitioner. You Brussels, you need more sprouts. You need to, you know, don't no coniferous vegetables. So on, on vitamin D and zinc and vitamin uh, C, all these things that like rational doctors I used to know would be like, don't even bother. Now they're telling you to double up on it. So I'm doubling up on it and I'm fine. So they're just trying to. Uh, give you something to do while you wait it, uh, it well, as long as you don't get worse. Yeah. Uh, by the time you get better, it'll be, well, you took some vitamins. I mean, it, it can't hurt. Yeah. Well, you know, John, I don't like you to use the word hero to describe me. I mean, I, I would not use that word. I'm going to say I would, I would not call myself I, I, a COVID hero, but uh, I am... Uh, you know, I'm. I'm in many ways. I am. I'm. I'm not a first responder, but I'm like a second responder. I'm. I'm the person the first responder responds to. Put it that way. Well, <laughs> I. I think you deserve to be called a COVID hero, if only because we don't need another hero. <laughs> That's exactly. exactly Thank right. you. So, um, uh. Speaking of uh, not needing another hero, at some point uh, today, as I said, this is New Year's Day, the New York Post will be posting my evisceration of Wonder Woman 1984. I don't know if you have watched Wonder Woman 1984 on HBO Max. I, I can I, Let me tell you what I did. I heard it. It was being watched in my vicinity. Mm -hmm. Ah. So, um, so that counts. Yeah. I think that counts. And um, I would just like to say that it was um, absolutely dreadful yeah. in, in the most dreadful possible ways, particularly for Glop Culture listeners who will be stunned to learn from this movie set in 1984 
uh, that Ronald Reagan, who mildly literate people uh, then and now know, uh, loathed nuclear weapons and actually went to his first summit with Mikhail Gorbachev and proposed their utter abolition, that his uh, most fervently expressed wish in this movie is to have lots more nuclear weapons. And he gets them, and then the world is going to be destroyed in a, in a nuclear war. So, um, so it's really, aside from being mm -hmm. bad just in every way, shape, or form, it also has this bizarre historical reimagining of, of Ronald Reagan as a nuke lover. Yeah, I mean, as, uh, it's hard for me. As someone with COVID, uh, <laughs> it's going to be everything. You just keep going. Uh, keep keep going. going. No, I'm going to say this. Yeah. Well, well, uh, here's here here are my my two thoughts. One about the business, and then one about the the movie and the movie and the cultural moment in the movie. It is all you need to know is that the people behind it, the creative forces behind it, chose 1984, a year of insane amount of hysteria and fear about nuclear weapons, to set their movie. Rather than four years later, 1988, which was the end of the Cold War and a birth of optimism and freedom across the across the world, they chose they actively chose a time of hysteria and fear that was only four years or four and a half years later, utterly and totally debunked. They chose to set their movie at a time when people were demonstrably, incontrovertibly, inarguably behaving like fools and shrieking panicmeisters rather than simply say, all right, it was going to say Wonder Woman 86 and she helps Reagan end the Cold War. She could have, right. they could have well, done that. Not 86, sorry, well, 88, 89. Right. Now, you're talking about people like people in Hollywood who were yeah. shrieking hysterics and lunatics. 1984 was, of course, morning in America, right? Uh, the economy grew 8.9% right. uh, in one quarter in 1984. We had the Los Angeles Olympics, which were this, you know, like a huge patriotic explosion of enthusiasm and, uh, and, and good feeling uh, after, you know, years of a terrible and difficult economic uh, resetting of the United States. We had the stock market starting to boom. We had all kinds of good things. and uh, But, of course, Ronald Reagan was president, and this is a movie being made by Hollywood morons who don't like Ronald Reagan. So Ronald Reagan is not Donald Trump, though. There's a different character who's Donald Trump, who is a sort of reality TV oil executive, because, you know, there are a lot of those. I don't know if you know that. Yeah, sure, yeah. There's a lot of reality TV oil <laughs> yeah. executives. Can, can, sometimes I like to stop when I hear stuff like that and just imagine, just for like a few minutes, just imagine the meeting. Because like, you have to have a lot of meetings to get to that. Like, it isn't just one meeting. It's like 27 meetings. And finally says, I got, I got, I got, I got, I got, I got, I got shut, quiet, I got it. Shut, shut up, shut up. I got it. He's an oil executive <laughs> with a reality TV show. And then everybody loves it, except for one person. Yeah. And then the other person says, you, you, know, you just don't love it because I came up with it. And then the person, no, that's not true. I just don't understand why he would have to. Yeah, and, you know yeah. what? Let's, let's, yeah. let's just play with this for the day yeah. and then another meeting and then it's fine. So uh, in this movie, this oil, uh, uh, this reality TV oil industry executive has somehow done research and found somewhere in the world a weird stone thing that grants wishes. Sure. And 
and uh, he has stuff. had it. He has had it shipped to a jewelry store in a mall in Georgetown, because oh, that's where you ship your wishing sight. stones. Yeah, hide in plain sight. Uh, and he, it's a, it's a, it's it's a um, uh, Bath and Body Works wishing stones. Important. <laughs> exactly. So he, so Spencer's he, gifts and wishing stones. It's there, and then somehow it ends up at the Smithsonian, and this this uh, oil reality TV oil industry executive finally gets his hands on it, and he wishes to be the stone. So he becomes Barbara Eden. Oh sure, right. Not, not becomes, Barbara Eden. That, that would be better if he had become Barbara Eden because the performance by Pedro Pascal, who plays him, who is uh, pretty good as the pretty much the voice or the body of the Mandalorian, he's terrible in this. But yeah. so he becomes, so he can he can grant your wishes. He becomes the stone. He becomes a wish granter. A wish granter. It's not like he said. just turns into stone. I didn't hear that. No, no, no. He unfortunately doesn't turn into stone. He does not that, turn that into would stone. have been better. But he becomes a wish granter, and then everybody goes around granting. He grants their wishes, and then he takes something from them. That's the whatever. It doesn't matter. Hmm. But um, so he grants people's wishes, and the first wish that he grants is to a an Egyptian oil sheik. Because there were a lot of those. Yeah. Because well, I don't Egypt, know if you know, this, you know. Egypt had a lot very of oil OPEC, Very powerful yes. OPEC uh, voice there in Egypt. Yes. And um, and so the, 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 the oil sheik wishes for the restoration of a fictional uh, kingdom. Mm. And so a wall, sort of like the either the Great Wall of China or or the security barrier in Israel goes up in the middle of Cairo and then people can't have water. I don't know why people can't have water. I don't know why this happens. I don't know why this is in the movie. I'm only bringing this up to say that uh, there's been this huge controversy over HBO Max uh, releasing this on HBO Max as well as to theaters on Christmas Day. And um, my view is that... um, uh, they might have wanted to do this because it's they saw it and they realized it's bad. that it was so bad that maybe they would be better yeah. off no. doing it this way because the word of mouth on this thing was going to be so horrendous. No, no, that is that is uh, that would be a rational. No, I, I don't know if that would be rational, but that would be an understandable strategy that they did not follow. They did not think it wasn't good. They thought it was good, and what they discovered is. It's a, it's a classic business problem. Every business has it. They obsess over a, a, a solvable problem they think is a problem, and they think this is the reason why we're not making a billion dollars a day because uh, people can't stream our TV show. People can't get – it's not easy enough for – people have to get in a car and go to the movie. They, that's too hard. That's what's keeping us from making the zillions of dollars. And so they put all of their effort and their time and their focus into the deal and to the the, the distribution window and all that stuff. And they forget that if the movie is crap, sending people to the movie theater is a good thing because you create a kind of a delay. And the truth is if I make (laughs) you work. You get, you know, I get somebody taking care of the kids or whatever. You get the kids in the car. You drive to the mall. You know, this thing, and they all want to go. Let's go to the Panda Express. No, we're going to go to the thing. And you finally pay your two hundred dollars, whatever it is, because <clears throat> it's expensive. 
and you sit in a movie theater and it's loud and huge and you watch a, a, a kind of a not so great movie, you're going to kind of like it because you put in all the effort. If you've ever seen one of the later Neil Simon plays in a Broadway theater, they are not funny. There is not a joke. I once saw, I think the most recent Neil Simon play, uh, or his, his, his last one, or second to last one, and it was, it, it was in, in the 80s. Uh, or 70s, or no, it's not in the 70s, it's in the 80s. Oh, it was and in the 90s. No, the 90s, whatever it was. Whatever and a character actually turns to another character in the 90s and says, like, I, I, I have a better relationship with the woman on my answering service. <laughs> like, the most lazy, yeah. anachronistic thing, and you would have thought it was the funniest line. The audience of Alta Cockers <laughs> and old people, like, roared, and the reason they laughed, yeah. they were like, you could hear it in their laughter. I paid $100 for this seat. <laughs> They're going to love it. And so so you're saying that's the yeah. movie effect, right? Yeah. And I, I, I have turned into one of those people. If I turn on one of these streaming shows, yeah, you know that is moody and brooding and all of this, and I watch it for ninety seconds, right? And like it's a guy walking down a corridor, and then he turns left, and then he goes down another dark corridor with some ominous music, and oh. then he turns into oh. a doorway and opens the door. I'm like, nah, I'm not gonna watch no. that. Click, like, let's go, let's get it going now. Let's let's yes. let's 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 get a move on. Like, what's the matter? And I'm really not like that in general, but but yeah, TV does that. So but again, it's like price. it's like the problem with all of that streaming and the internet yeah. and all of these things. They're fantastic for the customer because you have more choices, but they are harder for Hollywood, and Hollywood doesn't understand that because it means you have to make money the old-fashioned way. You have to actually make a good movie, and that's something that there's no there's no way to systematize that. There's no mm-hmm. way to sort of you can't. You know, John Stanky from AT&T can't come and say, here's how you make better movies. It's a weird magic thing that you cannot – the only thing you can do right. is what Pixar has done for years, and it's the thing that people in Hollywood refer to as the sort of magic trick they have that is, in fact, not a magic trick. It's just they agree in a, in a, in a very Henry Ford way to be able to stop the process at any time. Right. So they aren't looking at a calendar saying, well, we have to have this done by April 17th. They're like, well, if it's not right, we're not doing it. And that is, a, that is, a, like, that's a, that is actually the, the Japanese right. system from the 70s and 80s of making a, t- a, a car, where anyone on the line had a responsibility to stop the line to fix a problem. Um, and what you discover is that your quality goes way up. Hollywood can't do that because it's, it's just calendar-based and even more obsessively calendar-based now, ironically, right. since they don't want to have release dates. But uh, there's, yeah. That's the only way to do it, and no, and can you imagine going to the board at AT&T or if you're <laughs> running HBO Max or, or anywhere other than Disney and say, yeah, we're not going to release um, those three movies we talked to you about because they're just – I have a third act. We don't uh, – all we could come up with was the Egyptian uh, oil bag. It doesn't seem like there is an oil guy with a reality show, and a wishing stone seemed a little boring. So they looked at you like, no, we need a release. Right. Now, I want to talk to you about Pixar, because that's the other Christmas Day release that we should talk about. But first, let me talk to you about our first sponsor, oh, yeah. Bowl and Branch. Bowl and Branch. They've been a great sponsor for, uh, I think, the entire run of Gloss. They're a wonderful company. They are. And, you know, because... What as, a COVID, as a COVID sufferer, I can tell you, sheets matter. And, you know, 
What do millions of Americans with and without COVID and three former U.S. presidents have in common? They all agree that Boland Branch sheets are the softest and most comfortable pure organic cotton sheets on earth. Boland Branch cotton is rain-fed, pest pesticide-free, and carries the highest organic certification. That's why it's so soft, because they work with family-owned mills all over the world to expertly weave every set of Bowen Brand sheets with the highest level of craftsmanship. It's quality you can feel the moment you open the box, and since they sell direct to you, Bowen Brand sheets start at just $160. They're $1,000 quality for a fraction of the price. Plus, you can sleep on them for a month risk-free, and right now, you will get $50 off any sheet set at BolandBranch.com with promo code GLOCK, spelled B-O-L-L-A-N-D Branch.com, promo code GLOCK for $50 off. BolandBranch.com, promo code GLOCK, restrictions may apply. See BolandBranch.com for details, and our thanks to Bolin Branch for sponsoring the GLOCK podcast. So, Rob, the other Christmas Day gift for Americans was brought to you by Disney Plus, where Pixar's 2020 right. release, Soul, was put on Disney Plus on Christmas Day rather than released right. to theaters. And here's what struck me about it. I've now watched it twice. twice. And um, it is a glorious, wonderful piece of work. And I would say better on... TV on the screen yeah. at home, it might be a little too small for the movies. It is a small yeah. character study of a middle-aged man in crisis. That is the oddest thing about it. It is a story about a middle school music teacher who is a disappointed jazz musician who finally gets his big break and then has an accident and dies. And he is desperate. Um, spoiler alert. <laughs> no, that's the first five minutes. Well, that's the first reel, okay. And he is desperate to get back to Earth from this nether region where he ends up in the area where un, as yet unborn souls are created and then ensouled and then sent to Earth to be placed in bodies. And the whole question of the movie is, what does it mean to be alive? What does it mean to have a spark yeah. that makes life worth living? And it is surprisingly complex and interesting and deep and a beautiful evocation of jazz. But it is a very little story about this one guy and well, this one little unborn soul who does not want to go to Earth. And I don't know that if it had played in a theater, it wouldn't have seemed like it wasn't quite enough to fill up the theater. There isn't quite enough incident. It all takes place in a single day, pretty much in New York City. It is beautiful. It is enchanting. But it's very little. And so suddenly you say to yourself, yeah. you know, Pixar is such an amazing creative achievement that maybe it shows the way. Like maybe there will be Pixar movies that are huge and should be in theaters because they really give you a giant lift. And maybe they'll make things like this that are smaller but will have – 
maybe yeah. more disproportionate impact in this universe. And suddenly you say, huh, you know, maybe there's a continuum here that we hadn't realized. Well, I mean, if anybody can do it, it's Pixar. I mean, I think Pixar has been doing um, astonishing movies for 20, 30 years. I mean, it's hard to imagine a higher point of animation than I think the Toy Story trilogy. Those are, that's, those are genius. Those are genius movies. Um, Coco is a masterpiece. Coco is just an incredible masterpiece. They are making movies that are about big things, about growing up, about family, about dying, about all sorts of stuff. That is a big, big themes, novel themes. So like old movies, like the way you, you, you why make a movie if it's not going to be about something real? Everyone else is making tiny little movies about nothing. Uh, and they uh, they and they are figuring out how to, to to make this sort of streaming world work. I would predict that Disney is going to know exactly how to like get you into the movie theater for a big event, and get you in the Broadway theater for a big event, get you in front of your screen for a, a more of a screen event, get you into a physical space for a live action you know uh, a theme park event. I mean. Disney, they just think deeply about where you are when you're experiencing the story, and that has helped them immensely. And also the fact that here's here's a company that is a, the combination, really, of other little creative pools, you know, like Pixar and Marvel and places like that, and Lucasfilm, and they're all kind of under the banner of a, what I, I probably think is the most effective uh, corporate leader in America in 50 years, and that that's Bob Iger, a guy who j understands how to lead people, understands how to gather a team, has a kind of a, a total lack of ego in a lot of ways. He's not, he's not a mogul. He doesn't like – he's not a big shot. He doesn't yell. He doesn't make any kind of creative decisions. He just asks questions. Like He should be teaching a class on how to, how to run a big company with a lot of egos under him and keep the peace and make a whole lot of money for shareholders. Right, and how about this? So if I said to you six or seven years ago that when Disney bought Star Wars for $4 billion, right. that they would make five mediocre to really bad Star Wars movies. Oh, I liked them. That would, okay, but, you know, that would kind of degrade, yeah. would kind of degrade the franchise's value. And then they turn around... And they would start a cable streaming, a streaming service, and throw up a modest Disney, a modest Star Wars show with a character who did not appear in the movies uh, that you can't see. It's basically just a Western, a guy going around, uh, you know, from town to town trying to keep this kid safe. When is and it set, it, though? In the world, it's set five years after the 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 end of the Empire at the end of uh, Return of the Jedi. Okay. And as we know, it's five years later, and you know what? Despite the destruction of the Empire, things really aren't going that well. That's that that's the well. That's you know. Yeah. Okay. That's what happens. So, but, exactly. Anyway, but the point is that this thing, this sort of. You know, exploitative TV show, we all grew up with, you know, people making knockoff TV shows of hit movies. Right. And though some of them, like The Odd Couple, ended up being sensationally good, most of them were just, you know, horrible failures. This thing would be the first unambiguously successful 
work in the Star Wars universe, I mean, creatively successful, not just, and also, like, uh, buzzy, since The Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. I mean, but who who would have expected that? Well, I mean, in retro, I mean, not, not me. As someone with COVID, I can tell you that I would not have. But looking backwards, are you, it does make sense, because the one thing, that, the, the one signature of Walt Disney material from the time of Walt Disney to now, the one thing is that they understand how to tell a story. They really do. They like the stories were are, are they it comes from their roots in the fairy tales, right? Which are like the best stories. They're like incredibly. They've lasted thousands of years. That's why they're good. No one will tell the story of Wonder Woman eighty four ever again. You you couldn't even tell it now. You got confused. You could always tell the story of Sleeping Beauty. You could always tell the story of all those things. You could always tell the story of great. Disney movies, you can tell Toy Story, you can all those stories you can tell. So once you give them the basic stuff and you say, go and make a great story out of this, that's what they can do. Now, and that's the primary, that's their primary skill. Uh, and that used to be the primary skill of the movie theaters, I mean, the movie studios. It is not that anymore. And that's a problem for them, although right. <clears throat> it's not a problem for the customer because there are plenty of people who are telling really good stories who don't need to go to you know hbo max get permission so okay so the story though there is that star wars was bought by disney and disney placed an entertainment industry executive named kathleen kennedy in charge of the franchise and she stinked right. at it you have failed me for the last time uh, yes and disney plus went to its go-to Guy, right. John Favreau, uh, who initiated the new Marvel sequence with Iron Man, made the Lion King uh, live-action movie and the Jungle Book live-action movie, which were filmed in this weird motion capture, semi-animated, semi-real, I, I don't even understand what it is exactly, and he decided he was going to, he wrote this series and he directed it. He's not part of Star Wars. He wasn't, like, anointed by... Yeah, uh, that's why. Right, but he wasn't anointed by George Lucas, who said, yes, Kathleen Kennedy's fine. She's my friend Steven Spielberg's producing partner. She'll really manage my vision properly. And, of course, she didn't, because she's not a creative person and pr apparently isn't very good at this. So it took they took this one guy who is some kind of weird classic storyteller who knows how and knows Favreau how to marshal. Is extremely talented. Favreau yeah. is an extremely talented. There are stories of John Favreau helping people out on movies that you don't even know he had anything to do with. And again, I think his great talent is story. He tells a story and he understands big and small. He was the one. And I, the reason why one of the Iron Man movie, the first one, was so successful, it was a mess. It was a mess putting it together, a mess, <clears throat> was that Favreau was the one, and like notice that this does not, from what you described, this is not a part of Wonder Woman, who said, kept saying, what is this movie about? What is it about? It's about a guy with no heart, who doesn't have a heart, and then gets an artificial heart, and that's his real heart. It's a, it's a, it's an emotional trip for, uh, what's his name, you know, uh, Robert Downey Jr., whatever his name is, the thing. I always forget his Tony name. Stark. Tony Stark. Tony Stark. He's Stark. He's a cynical guy with no heart, but he does have a physical heart that beats. He loses his physical heart. He puts in a little beating a red light bulb, 
and puts on the puts on the suit and he gets a heart. It's like it's a cowardly lion, right? Right. And and that, right. and that once you figure that out, like oh, now I know what I'm watching. What's right. Wonder Woman eighty four? What did she get? It's nothing. She just goes through a series of events, right? Yeah. Well, look. The other thing about uh, Favreau is that he started as this. Uh, he was sort of a struggling actor, and then he wrote this screenplay, this right. kind of um, uh, for a little movie called Swingers. They're gonna give Daddy the Rain Man suite. You dig that? We're going to Vegas, Mike. Vegas. You think we get there by midnight? Honey, we're gonna be up five hundred by midnight. Yeah, Vegas. Vegas, baby, Vegas. Which is about was about him and his friends hanging around in L.A. in the mid '90s, trying to you know uh, some of them were kind of um, just looking to make out with girls, and he was looking for true love, uh, and it was fantastic. But it's a little movie. It was like a little Tiny. indie movie. He was supposed to be you know he was going the Steven Soderbergh route. He wrote it and he starred in it, and then. Uh, he suddenly took this turn, made Elf, and then he was like a, a, a major movie director. You disgust me. How can you live with yourself? Just cool it, Zippy. You sit on a throne of lies. Look, I'm not kidding. You're a fake. I'm a fake? Yes. How'd you like to be dead? Huh? No, he's kidding. You stink. I think you're going to have a good Christmas, all right? I like beef and cheese. You don't smell like Santa. Okay. And, and there are these people who are able to do this and people who aren't, and God knows why. It turns out he knew how to commandeer and control a set with 250 people on it, make right. it run, make it work, bring in movies at budget, and have some storytelling vision. I want to talk about the word storyteller when we uh, return from... I, I'm sorry. It was I, I had the uh, I had our ad here, and now it vanished. But I'm getting it back. Okay. Uh oh. Okay. Here we go. Okay, but Grandpa. Uh, but first, Gr uh, Grand your daughter's coming to see you today, Mr. Fedoris. <laughs> We're gonna get you first, cleaned up. We're gonna get you cleaned up for her. Uh, thank you. You have to let go of me, Mr. Fedoris. <laughs> You're not going anywhere. <laughs> Let's talk about our second sponsor, Burrow, because if you're ready, getting ready to hunker down for the yeah. winter, and we are all getting ready to I'm hunker down me. for the winter. As a person with COVID, as a COVID hero, well, I'll say it for now, I love my Burrow chair. I are you it. hunkering down in it right now? Well, I wouldn't say hunkering. I was, that was hunkering was earlier. But okay. the, the, I, I'm yeah. now asymptomatic, so there's no hunkering anymore. Okay, but the point is... We need to make sure our home is up for the task if a lot of us are going to spend another three months in hibernation. And Burrow is the perfect furniture maker to help us do that because they make foolproof furniture that's durable, comfortable, sofas, sectionals, and more directed, delivered directly to your door. Whether you choose the all-new Super Cozy Range Collection or the award-winning Nomad Collection, everything from Burrow is designed to go perfectly together and built to make your life easier. It's practical and adaptable. You can assemble a burrow sofa by yourself without any tools or help in minutes. I know because I did it. I did it. I have one in my office. It's built for real life. Did your family get a puppy or a kitten for Christmas? Then burrow is for you because it's made from durable materials that resist stains and scratches. The best part is you can customize everything to create your dream sofa, the color, the fabric, the arm style, the leg style, the size, even the shape 
of your seating. And Burrow has just launched over 10 new products, including two circular coffee table collections, plus soft and stylish new rugs. As always, every single Burrow order includes fast and free shipping. And right now, you can save an extra 75 bucks off your purchase by going to burrow.com slash glop. That's B-U-R-R-O-W.com slash glop for $75 off. Many thanks to Burrow for sponsoring the Glop podcast. So, Rob, I've noticed over the last year a nauseating predilection for everyone in the motion picture business and yeah. in, the, in the streaming business, TV, whatever, to refer to themselves, producers, writers, yeah. actors, directors, as storytellers. All yeah. they want to do – now, Rob, you – I'm the you shaman. Are, I remember seeing John Goober once. No, Peter Goober, sorry. Peter, Peter Goober wants to tell a story uh, when I was a, a film student. I said, this is a long time ago. And he was a big, it was before he was running Sony, when he was just a very big producer, he could say, and he has a very thick master sheet that goes, we're the storytellers. We're all the storytellers. We're the shaman in front of the campfire. Think of yourself as the shaman in front of the campfire. I'm thinking to myself that. Yeah, well, that's what this is. It's it's offense. I mean, I my my twenty my theme for 2020, and I believe my theme for 2021 is going to be uh, incredibly low rent insta Freudian analysis of every single thing in the world because it always works. When people talk to them, when people say, "I'm a, we're the storytellers, we're the storytellers, we're the storytellers," here's what you know for a fact: they don't spend enough time thinking about stories. They just don't spend enough time doing that. They they say it because if you say it, it's like an incantation. If I keep saying that I'm – it's like people saying, like, I live a very healthy lifestyle. I once, I once actually I, – I once actually had a had – a, had a, had a, a lunch – this is a long time ago – had a lunch meeting with someone in Hollywood. So this is this must have been before when, when they still had smoking and non-smoking parts of a restaurant in the smoking part. And he was telling me that the hardest thing he ever did was quit smoking. That is the thing he's the most proud of in his life. It was the hardest thing. And as he's telling how hard it was, but how it, he accomplished this through a lot of self-reflection. He had to, like, get clear on a lot of stuff. He had to, like, go back and, like, figure out what the traumas were in his life. As he's telling me the story of his courageous and difficult uh, 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 cessation of smoking, he is lighting a cigarette. And as he tells me, like, the hardest thing I ever did was quit smoking. Let me tell you, I admire anybody, and you put it in and you like it, or like it. Anyway, it was, who could quit? Because quitting was the hardest thing. And he's pointing to me with a lit cigarette as he's telling me how hard. And it's, and he kind of didn't know, but he, and I, and I sort of looked at the cigarette, and goes, oh, yeah, I, I have, I, I have still one or two a day. That's fine. And that is the, that is Hollywood. That's Hollywood for you. People in Hollywood saying, we're the storyteller. I'm a storyteller. Here's what you know. There's no second act. They haven't figured it out. There's the third act doesn't work. They just they, they don't have a story. See, that's storytelling right there. That's some that's some yeah. that's some quality you storytelling. You gotta have a story, yeah. But what is it? So you're saying so Peter Goober said this to you in like the eighties. But well, I'm like saying 80, that this has become <laughs> so so what they've decided to do is they've they're no longer referring to IP because that's too low rent, right? It's like right. everyone's like, oh, that's good IP. IP meaning intellectual property, which is the way you describe any product. In other words, it could be a movie, it could be a TV show, it could right. be a record album, it could be a, a video game, but it you could still be need a ride. Because right. when you sell something, what you want to do in the room, because you can't go in the room anymore and say, here, I'm going to tell you a great story. And then tell somebody a great story and then go, oh, my God, I love it. 
what, because they don't know if they love it or not. Because right. because what if I, I don't? What if it's not good and I get fired? So what you do is you tell them, here's the stupid thing that I found in a graphic novel, and you don't tell them that you actually had the graphic novel made yourself. And you say, and, and, and we we and I own this IP and I want to develop it, and they're like, oh, we love it. We love it. They'll buy it because it's uh-huh. like a thing. It exists. It means it means that at some point in its life, someone else made the decision that it was a story, and that re- that relieves me of the burden of having to have a you know any kind of discerning taste at all. And that's the irony is that that's the whole name of the game in Hollywood is like the people who are successful are those who have discerning taste, which is you know John Favreau, right? He yeah. You know, he knows whether a story is small or large. Like, he knows whether uh, – th- th- this is what people say about him, and I know you want to talk about it. He, uh, that he always asks himself, what is the story that we're telling? And then how do we tell it? And so if it's a story that he's telling about, like, a sh- the, sh- the movie Chef, which is a really small movie, which I adored, but, of course, it was – Oh, know, so good. It was crack for me because it was always about food. But yeah. it was a really small story. And I, I remember talking to uh, somebody who's a, 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 a frenemy of his, who's a, a erstwhile friend, but just eaten up with jealousy. And this guy was explaining to me why that movie was terrible, why it didn't work, why the, six, the second act or the third act and the and the inciting incident and the question and all that. He had all sorts of like reasons why that movie didn't work. Except I kept saying, but I it was good. I liked it. It was fun. <laughs> You know, that movie, uh, which people should find, I don't know yeah, what Chef. streaming service it's on, but it's called Chef. He wrote and directed and starred in it, and it's actually about Twitter. Yeah, that's Chef right. is a that's movie right. about a guy who has a freakout on Twitter as a result. It must be autobiographical. Something must have happened to him. A guy writes a negative review of this guy's restaurant he or he has a freak out and then the world comes down on him and ruins his life and he finds his renewed creative energy uh in starting a food truck yeah he um, he, he in many ways it's an iron man template right it's i i re i found again the thing that I wanted to do, I lost my way. I was a chef. I made food. I like liked having people come to my restaurant. I liked feeding people. And then over the years, I kind of forgot that that was the story that I was telling in my life. And I thought it was something else. And then I had to reconnect to what I was really all about, which is feeding people. And sometimes you're feeding them from the side of a truck. And sometimes you're feeding them from, um, you know, a, 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 an open kitchen in a swank restaurant in L.A. But, I, you know, that's the same. It's a, it's a, you just keep asking yourself that question all the time. What is this? What is this thing about? If you want to know who John Favreau is, by the way, and you are a watcher of the Marvel movies, he is happy. He is actually the sidekick of Tony Stark in the uh, Iron Man movies and in the Avengers movies. So that that's who he is as a performer. Um, and, you know, basically he is now probably the most successful filmmaker yeah. in, in Hollywood yeah. now, particularly because of The Mandalorian. Okay, Rob, um, we here in New York have uh, have found ourselves gripped <laughs> by a spectacle. Uh, this is curing me. Uh, that is cure because uh, another uh, uh, hero of the COVID period, simply for diverting us from yes. the misery of the present moment, is um, is a woman named Hilaria Baldwin. Hilaria. 
it's hilarious, but it's Ilaria. Ilaria, Ilaria, Ilaria. Baldwin. Uh, and um, can you please enlighten us as to why we are so amused? By I can her? tell you this. Uh, Ilaria Baldwin is the wife of Alec actor Alec Baldwin, who is sort of a polarizing figure, although he's a neighbor and I, I he's funny. Boy, he's a very talented guy. Very, very talented uh, actor. Um, she is a young woman who was uh, born uh, from uh, in Boston, and her parents are Bostonians. Uh, her father's family goes back to the Mayflower, I think, and her mother is like, you know, 100% New Englander. Uh, she went to a fa fancy kind of alternative hippie uh, 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 private school, the Cambridge School of Weston, um, uh, which is in Weston, Massachusetts, a very expensive suburb of Massachusetts. And Cambridge School of Weston is a, it's it's, it's what you know everybody knows. It's, it's the hippie high, hippie private high school, right? You know, you write your own curriculum and then you go on a vision quest, all that stuff. It's like, uh, and um, and she's in her twenties, and she has she and uh, uh, Alec Baldwin have many children together, and so she's kind five, of styled five. five children. She styled herself as a kind of an Instagram influencer and yoga guru, and uh, you know she does tips for women who are pregnant, et cetera, et cetera. And her name is Hilaria. Unfortunately, she was born Hillary, uh, and she has told people that she was born in Mallorca. She's told people that her family is Spanish. She's told people that. Uh, she grew up in both Spain and the United States. She, she told people that she came to the United States for the first time to go to NYU. She speaks in a kind of a vague Spanish accent. And, of course, all of this has turned out to be <laughs> utterly false. She's just Hillary from Boston. Uh, her parents did, in fact, when she was 26, retire to Mallorca. But that is so far the only connection she's got to Mallorca. It, it, it has, there, there are a couple little tidbits that are just delicious. One is... There's a clip of her. For some reason, she's been selling this. I'm a. I'm from Spain. Um, you know, I'm a, a Spanish, a half Spanish national line for a long time. She was on like a Today Show or something, and she's making ceviche. Ceviche, I guess she would say. Ceviche. 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 Uh, and she points at Hillary from Boston, who lived in Boston and grew up in Boston, went to the Cambridge School of Weston. She points to a cucumber, and she turns to the host, and she says, uh, how do you say in English? Uh, cucumber. Cucumber. <laughs> Which is fantastic, right? And then, uh, and then, yeah. then she tells, I think she told somebody, the Daily Mail, uh, Ola magazine or something, that on her wedding, it was hilarious because in her wedding, her relatives didn't know how to pronounce her husband's last name. Baldwin. She was teaching them how to say Baldwin. 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 They would say Baldwin. Baldwin. But she had to <laughs> yeah. teach them teach how them. to say Baldwin. Yeah. She had to teach her, her, her physician mother from Boston yes. and yes. her, yes. Uh, I guess, her her lawyer parents, father. Yeah, her name is Hayward Hyphen Thomas. Yeah, Hillary Hayward. Her Thomas. mother. Is a pro was a professor at the Harvard <laughs> Medical School. She was a professor at the Harvard Medical School. <laughs> anyway, the so her entire, <laughs> her, entire, her entire connection to Espana <laughs> is that her father has a degree in Spanish literature from Haverford. Yeah, Haverford. Okay. We see Haverford. in, uh, Haverford. in upstate, upstate New York. I get the Haverford mixed up with the Hamilton all the time. With the Colgate. All the time. With the Colgate. And the Syracuse. 
Yeah. All the time, all the time. Yeah. Uh, it is, uh, it is, uh, so, I say in English, it is uh, stupidity at me. So in some sense, this is the ultimate classic American oh. story. Hollywood. Uh, so my niece by marriage, uh, Carla Valderrama, has just published a really fantastic book I really commend to you called This Was Hollywood. And it's ten oh, great. Follow it amazing, too. yeah, amazing stories about from the early days of Hollywood, and these stories of these people who reinvent themselves or try to reinvent themselves, and are basically found out over time. But it was very easy in America before the internet and stuff to arrive somewhere where you hadn't been before and to say, "I was born here." I, my parents were this, my this and that, and you just made up a past for yourself because your own past was horrible and depressing, and you didn't want to have that past, and well, you wanted to have a different past. Everyone, everyone has had the experience of having a friend, usually in college, go to London for 72 hours <laughs> and then come back to the United States to talk about, oh, look at that dreadfully big Mari. <laughs> oh, it's a dreadfully big Mario. Right. Uh, well, but, this is how they do yeah. it. In, well, I'm sorry. No, I, I was. I'm. I, it's silly. Yeah. Uh, this is how we. I. This is how we do it in 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 Florence. Like <laughs> no. Okay, you're American. Yeah. It's all right. Uh, there's right. a great moment in the fantastic movie 20th Century, where in one of his rants, the great uh, Broadway producer is realizing that he's been betrayed by everyone, and he suddenly wheels on uh, one of his young producing partners and says, "You, Max." You, Max, you betrayed me. Max, who came to my office, an office boy named Max Lowenbaum, and now is mysteriously Max Lanchester. And he's like, <laughs> it, it's great. I'm making the words up, but yeah, it's like doing that. It's fine. I, I don't know why people are. I mean, there's nothing. I, I guess this is this is what I, I guess what I mean is that there's this feeling online, I suppose, or in the culture that this is something. That we need to be offended by, that this is something, this is a transgression. Well, what's um, funny is it's not that she said I was born the child of poor peasants, right? No, you know, no. In, in Guatemala, in Guatemala, and we survived the civil war. We survived the civil war. You know, my parents were killed by, um, you know, by guerrillas, and then I, you know, we crawled across the border, and here right. I am. She's like, I grew up rich. On, an, yeah. on, on a fancy socialite island. Yeah, no, she's you know she's trying to be exotic and cool. Like, I, I, it's I totally just that get she it. wants to be exotic. That's yeah. all she wants is to be exotic. It's not so. It's not even proper cultural appropriation because, of course, in our time, cultural appropriation involves claiming victim status or right. being part of a suffering population or a someone who like is, is a hero like you, Rob, wants to be well, a hero. hero. Yeah. A COVID hero. So, you know, Rachel Dolezal wants to be black, mm -hmm. and, you know, this one wants to be this, that one wants to be that, because they want to claim the mantle of a suffering person. Right. Or, you know, like the people who make up having been Vietnam War veterans, the stolen valor people. Stolen it's, a whole, it's a whole thing. So that's the, I did something, I had to go through a hellish experience. I want you, I want to silence you from criticizing me, and I want you to think highly of me because I'm a hero like you, Rob. No no one has right. any reason to think highly of me. I'm not a hero. I'm You're just not. an I mean, ordinary look, as as a hero from from a hero to a non hero. To for yeah. from somebody who's yeah. actually on the front yeah. lines of a of a of a thing 
uh, to somebody who really isn't and, 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 and frankly is irrelevant, I would tell you that it's okay. In a weird, crazy, black is white, night is day kind of world, I envy you. The heroes, my, my group of heroes, COVID heroes, we envy your drab, humdrum, completely <laughs> uninteresting life of pure health, uh, where you haven't well, looked, by the way, you, haven't, you haven't been asked to look into the face of the abyss and say to yourself, right. who am I? And, yeah. uh, what, what is my purpose? And of that course, is, my purpose is to, story, is to tell stories. That is very good. But you, you did say drab, humdrum life, and that reminds me of the single greatest scene about Hollywood's personal reinvention, which is in the, is at the beginning of Singing in the Rain, one of the yeah. two or three best Hollywood movies, where Gene Kelly and Donald O'Connor tell this Hedda Hopper-like character at a microphone at a premiere of a movie about their past and... Gene Kelly says, we were educated at a conservatory, dignity, always dignity. Right. And then what you see is them in vaudeville being, you know, spraying yeah. each other, with, you know, dancing, yeah. spraying each other, using seltzer and all this. And it is a fantastic evocation of something that's really real. And it's now, and that's what Ilaria Baldwin has done. The sad part is why this drop-dead beautiful you know, why this drop-dead beautiful woman uh, uh, who's lived a life of privilege found it necessary? I mean, that's what's interesting, where you want to get into your psychoanalysis. Well, here's Why did she say. feel so worthless and well, so un uninteresting that she had to invent a not-that-interesting history for herself, which is that she was from Mallorca? I mean, <laughs> you know. Well, I mean, it helps, because Mallorca, you don't have to... Um, you don't have to prove it, right? Like, you're not going to check. So unfortunately, somebody checked. I think, uh, I don't think it's necessary for you to despise where you are in order to invent the thing. A lot of it is just sort of grasping. People are always kind of putting a little gloss on it. And because there's so many tools to do that, and because there's so many interviews, there's so much media, it gives you, it's like, it's like a bad, if you have any kind of addiction to this kind of fantasy uh, spinning, you're you're gonna. It's gonna be that that itch is gonna be scratched constantly because you can write Instagram posts and tweets and interviews and Ola magazine and all sorts of things. So before you know it, you're just you, you got to commit, and you you we make one small thing now you're in. So you got to be a hundred percent in, which is why usually the anger. <clears throat> what's interesting about it is that you can maybe see the difference between the way the way she's behaving and the way Alex Baldwin are behaving because they are doubling down on this. That. It ha it, it's the mini version of Trump won. I mean, I, I'm sorry, we, I should not mention Trump. The idea that reality has like has knocked on the door in a way that is very inconvenient and uncomfortable, and I'm mad about it. And I'm not. And I'm going to lash out about it. I'm going to point. I'm going to start making enemies lists about it. But the truth is, is like no. What happened was, the truth isn't what you thought it was. And I, I mean, I totally get it. I mean, people like to be European. Americans have been wanting to be European. Henry James's entire uh, 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 oeuvre, his entire <laughs> body of work is about Ilaria Baldwin's left, you know, kind of yes and right. le up and down, right? So there's yeah. nothing wrong with that. Um, what's funny to me is <clears throat> that somebody, that she learned this kind of sort of class-based behavior. She could only have learned it. At the Cambridge School of Weston, right? I mean, it had to have been there <laughs> because that's where you learn to cross your sevens for no reason. <laughs> you know, 
Crossing your sevens is one of the great, and saying Zed, that's Zed. another good one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, saying, yeah. Although, I have to say, as somebody who has a Z at the end of his name, Zed is actually useful, because if I say P-O-D-H-O-R-E-T-Z, people say C, left letter is C, so yeah. Zed is actually, I think, a useful, is a useful thing, as Here's opposed my to problem. the line. Yes. My problem is that I actually did live yeah. in Europe as a boy. That we act, I did. I did live in Holland for almost four years as a young lad. So I, I did have a European childhood. And didn't, I you live, didn't you live on the island? You also lived exotically on a on an island, I believe, didn't you? Uh, yeah. No. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Are you a no. grandparent on a on a? Oh, well, I had we a great great. I had a great grandparent who lived on St. John. Yeah, on St. John because we went to St. John and you knew where and you knew where the beach was. We were on one of these now, unfortunately, never yes, again to right. happen uh, right. magazine cruises, right. and we went to a beach on St. John that you knew of, right? Yeah, yeah, Didn't right. We? Yeah, um, we would go to St. John every year um, uh, because it, it, uh, the well, you're from St. John, I believe, and you I speak from, you speak, speak in an Saint, accent. You, you speak St. Johnese. I no, I, I sometimes you know no, <laughs> but but as somebody who has had a European boyhood, as I refer to, like I, I yeah. get it. I get when you come back. You know, I get it. I get. Uh-huh. I, I get that she wanted to have what I had, but it, she, unfortunately, she didn't live in well, Holland between 1974 and 1978 yeah. or whatever it is. Did you have Did you have wooden shoes? Oh, I yeah. And, and, I mean, and did joke. you like when you walked? Did you put your finger in a dike to make well, sure that the a little bit personal? <laughs> it was the seventies. I mean, did you, yeah. Was there were there was there like a, a windmill and? Oh you know? yeah, I, I there. Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm I'm right now sitting in my, <laughs> frankly, in my mother's basement, <laughs> uh, in quarantine, and uh, around here there are photographs of me in Holland with like little wooden shoes, and there's a one with a, with a windmill, and there's all sorts of stuff we did. Ah, this is wonderful. You know, I myself spent much of my childhood in the Holland Tunnel. <laughs> so, uh, well, yes, I yeah. did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. So, and you know. Uh, Speaking of nothing in particular, I just want to conclude this year's um, sponsors by talking about one of our favorites, Tommy John. Yes. Tommy John's end of year sale is going on right now. So go to TommyJohn.com. Yes. This is a very COVID, speaking of somebody with COVID, this is a very <laughs> COVID friendly set of, of sponsors, but nothing, no set, no sponsor is more appropriate for me right this minute than Tommy John. Because this is la- that's right. It's loungewear. It's loungewear, lounge right? Yes. And it's the biggest sale of the year. TommyJohn.com, biggest savings of the year, but only right now. So when you start every morning in Tommy John underwear, you're that much more comfortable. So you can do everything better. Trade out whatever cheap underwear was sliding down and riding up last year for Tommy John to finally get you the comfort you deserve. With dozens of comfort innovations, once you've tried Tommy John underwear, you're never going back. That's why Tommy John doesn't have customers. They have fanatics. What kind of innovations? Try breathable, lightweight, moisture-wicking fabric with four times the stretch of competing brands so it moves with you. Tommy John underwear comes with a non-rolling waistband for the perfect fit. The legs never ride up, and each of Tommy John's 13 million pairs of underwear are covered by, yes, I have to say it and not laugh. A no wedgie guarantee. That's true. I can. I one. I'm 100 uh, can endorse that. 
Okay, so there's no risk with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear. It's free guarantee. Try Tommy John today. If you don't love them, they're free. Go to TommyJohn.com slash Glop right now for the biggest sale of the year. It's happening now. Tommy John's end of the year sale. Go to TommyJohn.com slash Glop for biggest savings of the year. TommyJohn.com slash Glop. See site for details. Thanks to Tommy John for sponsoring the Glop podcast. Tommy John so, is the choice of uh, COVID heroes. I can tell you the loungewear. I'm, I'm not even kidding. It is, and, and, it saves, and, it, yeah. it's actually, uh, it's, it, it yeah. should be, it is so great, it should be covered, I should have just be a copay. And this is, and this, I, I, I trust you because you know Rutger Hauer oh. from Holland. Well, I, I know who? Rutger Hauer? Oh, I believe Rutger you know Hauer. the actor. Ru- oh, Rutger yeah, Hauer. Yeah, yeah. Rutger yeah, Hauer, yeah. yes. Yes, and, uh, and Paul Verhoeven. I, I got a question. And Paul Verhoeven, yes. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. You, you saw the movie they made together called Kichi Jiffel. Yeah. <laughs> there is nothing funnier, if I could just tell you, if you've yeah. never seen a Dutch movie. Oh, it's uh, the best. If you see a Dutch movie from the 70s, first of all, they, they, Paul Verhoeven, before he came to America yeah. and made Total Recall, he made three or four fantastic movies, Soldier of Orange in it particular. It fears the month. It fears the month. That's right. It's a really it's a good fan- Oh, but, my God. It's a great one. But if you watch the Dutch movies without, and they have the original credits, it is oh, hysterically it's, funny because it says like, it says like, bloop. You know, like instead of instead of cinematographer, it says like Yorp, 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 and then a na- and then a name like Blake Blook, yeah. you know, like uh, that. We used to say that if that Dutch, I mean, this is very, I'm, I'm, and I apologize. Although I, I, I've said this to Dutch people, they all agree. If you ask any Dutch person, like, so what what books should I read? What are the great Dutch authors? Though there aren't any. You should read English books. <laughs> they all study English. Um, if you, and I'm not wishing this, but as a COVID hero, I could say, if you're in some kind of, you know, horrible industrial accident, and there's, your body's fine, but your brain, you have some brain damage, um, or you have a massive stroke, and six months of, like, therapy and rehab, et cetera, you kind of regain about two-thirds of your brain, maybe, maybe three-quarters of your brain. And you can talk. It will sound like Dutch. <laughs> so Dutch literature may not be everything you wanted to be, and well, the language may sound silly, but of course it, it did it, have it sounds like maybe the greatest. Ex- right, but, but it's gibberish. With brain damage. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, but now, of wait, course it question. was the. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yes. Of course, that's why they're such great painters, right? Yes. Because they. Um, yeah, it was like. Don't I don't know it. why. Yeah, yeah, it's like it's like yeah. you know, it's 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 with no language. Let's let's um, visualize it. Yeah, right. Uh, I don't. I have a question. Are are, are we showing our video? Is this a video event? I mean, anybody can see this on. Is it, are we recording this at all? Okay. Then I will show John. I'm gonna. Here's what I'm gonna do for the for, for the podcast listeners. I'm gonna show John a photograph which I found here in the basement uh, of me and my brother all dressed up like little Dutch boys. Uh-huh. Uh, it's a, a Christmas card at some point, I think. Um, and then he, he's going to respond to that. And then if you if you want to see it and you're listening and you really have to see this, then you're just going to have to join Ricochet. Um, and if you join, I'll send you this JPEG. And you can okay. enjoy this JPEG. This is, okay, here we go. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
I just need to explain that Rob and his brother, uh, they're wearing sort of like Shriner hats. Well, no, these are like felt, little felt hats. They're, yeah. they're felt hats that sort of mm-hmm. like Shriner hats. Uh, there's a, they're wearing uh, the silver skates from Hans Brinker. Right. And, uh, and uh, I believe that's Rob holding an accordion? No, that's my brother. I'm holding that's the basket. That's your brother ho- the holding fish basket. And, you're, and you're holding a fish basket. And, and these are wooden um, shoes, by the way, not skates. They're, oh, they're wooden shoes. It's not the Hans Brinker silver no. skates. These are the wooden shoes. This picture must be seen as it is also on, the, on a background that sort of looks like Vermeer houses. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, something like that. Anyway, it is the, one of the greatest photographs that I, I have ever seen. Um, um, Join Ricochet today to get yeah. a and to get this photograph. And I will t- I will also tell you that we did in fact skate on the canals. I mean, I, I, this this I, I, can I just this this does bug me. This this actually, okay. This is this bugs me, and I think it bugs me because of me, and not because of the ambient <laughs> culture. Two things that bother me. Three things really. Two, uh, three. Well, three, four, one thing. Here's the first thing. Um, my maternal grandmother uh, was Mexican, Shpresco, Um which makes me, what, 25% Hispanic? Yes, Latinx. La- Latinx, right? Yeah, you're uh, 25% do I, What do Latinx. I get? For, I mean, I don't get, I've never, I didn't even know I could say anything. I li- literally, li- I literally had a European childhood. Yeah, and I'm not walking around like Ilaria Baldwin, like with a weird accent and saying, "How, how do you say this in English?" Oh yes, uh, I'm, I, I would. I, it's crazy. All of the benefits, either they came too late. You know, I feel like I bought and sold Bitcoin too soon. Like you're I, like. I, you're like the Philip. You're like uh, Philip Larkin in that poem, right? The sexual yeah. revolution began in 1963, which was just too late for me. You could have just imagine you could have gotten into Yale <laughs> if you had if you had just <laughs> said true. that you were a quarter oh my Mexican. Yeah. Wait, I mean, I, you got I, into I, Yale. You got yeah. into Yale anyway. Well, back then, because I was, I was okay, privileged. Yeah. But but that yeah. like okay. and and I and every now and then, like I just recently. There was a, I got a piece of paper. I was doing a project on a, uh, a company, and that company likes to keep track of the ethnicity of the people they're paying because they like to, you know, they like to, um, as, as somebody once said to me, uh, I forget where they were, I, I, I think it was at CBS, said, oh, oh we, it, we, it's not like we keep track or anything. It's not like we're actually, uh, you know, keeping, having a number of diverse hires. It's just that we want to know what that number is. So <laughs> that's, you, this is anyway, terrible. I, I and you, I checked. I to, didn't check. I, I should have checked. Latino. It's time for you to check that box. You've got to check that box. Yeah. I mean, look. You know, you are a quarter Mexican. Wait you're not. Uh, you're not one one thousand and twenty eighth Cherokee, like some senators some, from Massachusetts. No, it's exactly true. That's exactly right. You are actually twenty five percent Mexican. Yeah. If you know, it's like. Uh, this is this is this is unavailable. You wait a minute. You can you can fulfill. You can help fulfill the diversity needs of your television programs of this podcast. And of this po- of this podcast is now uh, an eighth Mexican. <laughs> exactly right. It's half Jewish and an eighth Mexican. That's exactly right. Exactly and if you I were am, Brett Stevens, if yeah. Brett Stevens were here, he's actually 
he's from Mexico. So yeah. he, we could, and Jewish. He's Mexican and Jewish. How about that? I am a Latino. Latinx. Latin, well, I'll, I'll say Latino COVID sufferer. <laughs> like so I, you're it. Your heroism, really, we are off the charts. We, your heroism, that was it's insane. I, did, I really have never thought of it, but I am entitled to so much. Like, uh, you know what? Two thousand dollars is not enough for me. Two thousand dollars is not enough. I, I want your two thousand dollars. I would give you my two thousand dollars if I were getting it, but of course, you know, uh, these cucks won't. Uh, you know. These Mitch yeah. McConnell cucks won't let us get our $2,000 checks. Uh, and they're going to, I'm sure they're going to keep Mike Pence from awarding the presidency to uh, Donald Trump. Can I the say something? Can we, so we're talking about politics now. I mean, I, and I feel yeah. like I can say this as a Latino COVID sufferer. Yeah, Latinx. Everybody forgets that Mike Pence is going to run for president. Everybody acts like Mike Pence isn't going to run for president. He's going to run for president. He's not going to... What's going to happen to all the Trump loyalists when they realize... He's going to run against... You're saying he's going to run against Trump? I I am uh, 100% certain that if Trump runs again, so will Mike Pence. They will meet together in Iowa. And it's not going to be good for Trump. Because for a lot of people who are, you know, basically conservative... There's no downside to a Mike Pence. Mike Pence is, it seems like a incre- I mean, I disagree with him about politics, but I think he's an incredibly. He seems like a very decent person. He seems like he's not emotionally. He's not a, a malignant narcissist. He's not crazy. The idea that somehow Mike Pence has to like show loyalty to a guy. No way. He's going to run for president. Well, we'll see. I God only knows what's going to happen now. We are we are we are entering we are entering into the unprecedented times that greeted us this year. We'll continue in their unprecedented fashion into the new year. Can I weird ask, stuff is yeah. going on? Here's what I would say. We're you know we're missing Jonah. We should say we're missing Jonah. Uh, Jonah was had some uh, a very sad fa- family um, uh, event and I'm, and is now sort of with his family, which you know. Richly deserves privacy and time alone. Um, but here's what I was going to ask him and ask you, so I'll just ask you. What are the three best things? I'm so bored yeah. of this, like, 2020 sucks. Yeah. What are the three best things about 2020? Let's see. The three best things about 2020. Uh, let's see. Uh, I lost uh, 50 pounds. Really? Something like that. 50? Five zero? Yeah, pretty close. Something like that. How do you that. feel? I can't really tell. I feel great. Deep. Yeah, I feel great. Uh, I lost twenty. You lost twenty, but we we both kind of lost weight for the same uh, medically induced reason, I believe. Like we both. Uh, you have COVID. We both were. I. I you I, from Europe? Yeah, I'm from Europe, and uh, and You're so, Latino? but uh, uh, yes, exactly. Uh, what was the? Well, we have uh, we have uh, oh, uh, we're both uh, metformin. Yeah, yeah. yeah we're, we both have uh, uh, blood sugar issues, so yeah. our doctors told us to, and there we did it. So. Uh, that's number one. Number two uh, would be that my uh, one of my children took up rowing, and wow. um, an actual rowing, not like fake Lori Loughlin rowing, but actual crew rowing. Um, 
and and sort of has a has a kind of uh, is the first person in my family in uh, you know maybe a thousand <laughs> generations to actually seem to be a sportsy person. <laughs> the first the first Bedorits to have That's muscle right. tone. <laughs> That's right. And uh, and um, I'm trying to think of the third. What's That's the third? That's a great sport, the, by the way. The third is uh, it is, and the third is what would be the third? The third is. Uh, uh god i don't know what would be what what's uh do you have three i have three i think my, okay. mine's definitely the weight i think the weight's great the second was the uh the the slow realization that that the actual solution to whatever i was experiencing emotionally right wasn't outside because there's nothing going on outside so if I had work to do, I would come up with 90 different, like, things. I could, I could, all sorts of distractions that I could, like, you know, put in my way so that I couldn't actually sit there and do it. And part of what I learned for the year has been, no, oh, no, actually, it's okay if you just sit and just be. If you're, if, you're, if you're trying to finish something and you can't finish it, the solution isn't to sort of run out. The solution is to sit there and just not be able to finish it, and that's okay, too. Um, and the third thing has been to discover that uh, I, the, the high stakes of, of just being alive um, were just way too high. The idea that, well, you know, I have these friends. I haven't seen this friend in forever. I don't know when are we going to get together. And it's, it's a cliche to say, but they, they, you don't have to have a reason. And you can actually just schedule a Zoom call for 15 minutes. And that's about all you need to do. And as long as everybody knows the rules of 15 minutes. And everybody kind of knows that that's fine, and then you're done. And then you really, it really has this huge beneficial effect on your mood. That that you're like, oh well, all these people. But by the way, I could have done this at any time. Zoom is not new. Zoom is old technology. Right. Um, I just didn't. And so 2020 taught me that no, no, it's actually not not that bad. You just you just you say to somebody when they you send a text and you say, oh, I don't know when we're going to see each other. Like, well, no, you live in Seattle, I live in New York, so why don't we just do a Zoom call for 10 seconds? That doesn't make, make any difference how long. Yeah. Um, and uh, that has been a huge, huge, uh, well, huge benefit. I, you, you, have, you, have, you have put me in mind of what my third best thing was. And the best thing was, and this was sort of a uh, total happenstance, that my uh, commentary magazine, we started to do our uh, podcast, which had been twice weekly, daily, once, yeah. the, once the pandemic started. And that had... Not only did it uh, work in the sense that um, we gained tens of thousands of new listeners and all of that, but for us, for the four of us, uh, Abe Greenwald, Christine Rosen, Noel Rothman, and I, the four of us, it kept us connected when we were all in you know different places right. and kept us with a sense of the common mission of our of our uh, common editorial mission and the purpose of why we do what we do. And it, it, it meant that we did not have this horrible disconnect sure. and it was great for us. And, and, and uh, it was great for commentary. It was, it seemed to be good for our listeners. And that's something that never would have happened uh, in any other year or at any other time. I'm sorry that it took this horrible pandemic uh to create this condition and i don't know how much longer we'll do it uh because you know it's kind of settling back to earth again but but uh, but it w was really a, a wonderful thing i think just like 
that thing you're saying about Zoom, you know, uh, us doing this, you're doing the Ricochet podcast so that you right. and Peter and uh, and James Lilacs uh, can see each other and sort of commune together in different places and all that. And with Scott Immergut, our producer, uh, you know, it 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 it, it, it create it keeps you connected at a time when it's really hard to be connected to anybody but the people who are immediately in your vicinity, which of course means close family and almost nobody else. Right. I mean, and I, I would say that as a COVID hero, COVID sufferer, as a Latino COVID sufferer, um, I'm glad that you, that we, we in the COVID community could bring that experience to you in the, in the, I don't know, COVID privileged community, I should say. You're, you're, you're in a, but in a weird way, I feel like I'm COVID privileged because COVID has given me a new way of looking at the world. And I look down on people, not look down, but I, 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 I you condescend. Like you look at I condescend <laughs> to people like you who just don't have that kind of an experience. You, you didn't live in Europe. You're not Latino. You don't have COVID. Okay. Well, then when we, <laughs> when, when we are next with you, I think Jonah will be back with us uh, to, to regale us with his, tale of uh, his his relation to Rob's COVID heroism. I think that's what this podcast believe, that's 2021 for this podcast. It's going to be more yes. about my specific ethnic it's, uh, ethnic and and uh, and viral identity. <laughs> You're that's all I've ever wanted. Me and me too, weirdly. Yeah. Yeah. So there there you were just a boring Episcopalian. Yeah. Who knew? Suddenly, suddenly, your exoticism, your sacrifice, yep. the suffering, all of this has just enlarged you while you are losing weight. While Think losing about weight. that. It's enlarged crazy. Enlarged while losing yeah. weight. I Here's what I can't wait for. I can't wait for the money that I think is going to be coming my way from all sorts of sources now that I have multiple, uh, I said, what's a points of entry for the culture. I, 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 as I say, I think you need to talk to your representatives yes. about making sure <laughs> that in future negotiations, it is known to those who wish to engage your services. Yeah. Just what they have. Just what they have. Right. Just what they yeah. have in you. Right. That, that, that goes beyond talent into a new category. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Of representation. I am very much, uh, how do you say it in English? Diverse. <laughs> and, with that, <laughs> and with that, Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year. My eyes are revealed.
Ricochet. Join the conversation. Night in Madrid, blue and tender. Spanish moon makes silver splendor. Music robbing plaintive sobbing notes of a guitar. While ardent caballero serenades. 